Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and three minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming over this flight, Turkish flies to Gotham City, JetBlue launches a Venture Arm, British Airways female flight attendants win the right to wear trousers, OK Go films a zero-gravity music video, calculating the real cost of the fuel surcharge, Terra Bomber gets sucked out of a plane in display of karmic justice, China blacklists unruly passengers, and a 747 gently fades away. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast signal sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Fly 34 to Manchester. Manchester, hi, hi. And this has got to be close to the first anniversary of the show because uh, Facebook, which is very good at reminding you of what you were doing several years ago and the embarrassing statements <laughs> you chose to make on that day, uh, showed a lot of activity around layovers a year ago you uh, this actually, week. Actually, yeah, I didn't check, but you're right. I think it's been a year. Uh, it wow. has been a year. Isn't that crazy? If you're still listening, thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> yeah. Happy anniversary, <laughs> Alex. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> so before we go on to the news, another show of like lots of very interesting news. First, I'll start with you. So you are still looking to book your ticket to Asia. No, I have, I have booked. Oh, I have finally booked. I just got fed up of waiting and the fares changing. So, yes, I have booked. So, which airline did you up? Uh, Emirates. I, oh, yeah, you know, it's I. I had narrowed it down between Finnair and Emirates, and the timings with Qatar always sadly didn't work out. I wasn't because I'm coming straight off a flight from San Francisco, connecting to a flight to Singapore for reasons I won't get into. Um, <laughs> and Finnair, a friend of mine who, uh, who uh, Chris Anthony, who is uh, in the airline industry and travels way more than I do, had just taken the Finnair A350 and gave a rave review. And I thought, okay, right, I really need to find a way to make this work. And I found a really good price, or at least a price that was close enough to what I was willing to eat. And I would get, of course, my BA tier points and miles. But when I tried to actually book the price jump by 500 pounds on the Finnair site as at all OTAs as well. So I just thought, you know what? Mm. I give up. <laughs> I give up. And uh, the it, time that happens. That happens sometimes. Uh, you you, fi you find deals on OTAs, and as soon as you reach the airlines or the uh, the actual OTA that actually sells a ticket, you see a huge price difference. I don't know what the, the deal was because. Both ITA Matrix and Google Flights were reporting this lower price, but I could not replicate it on the Finnair website, nor could they on their system. So I, I just gave up. And the, the Emirates timings worked out really, really well. So, you know, it is welcome, it is. welcome to my world. Well, Alex. you know, I'm excited to try their premium product. And, and the one thing it taught me was ITA Metrics, while complicated and clunky, is still a hell of a resource if you are a yeah, frequent and picky flyer. Like you said, for those who don't know it, you cannot book on it, but you can create really complex routings and find really complex uh, pricing yes. from it. But then you have to, like you just mentioned, you have to replicate Recru them absolutely. somewhere. And that's sometimes a bit of the, the issue. I mean, 
what a lot of people do they just simply call the airline yep uh and that's because it gives you all of the fair codes that you yeah you know they they're is it them or yeah it's them that says this is what you should say to a travel agent but they're the only flight search platform that i've found i'd be i'd love to hear from anybody if you found something else that can do this that allows you to do mixed class booking so outbound Mm -hmm. in business back in economy or or whatever yeah absolutely. and that's really really cool and of course not only mixed class but you can search by fare code per leg which is why you actually often need to call because you cannot replicate that on any website if you go on the airline website you cannot just start to say oh this leg in that this leg in that they won't allow you no Emirates allows you to do multiple fair fares. Like you can say this leg in, in coach and this other leg in business and yes, this last leg, leg in but first. Not segment. So you, exactly. Leg but not segment. Exactly. So you could like so for I'm doing London, Dubai, Singapore, and then Shanghai, Dubai, Singapore, uh, London. I can do the outbound in one class and the return in another, but I couldn't like mix them up and do a couple economy and then maybe a business class. It doesn't work like that. And that's fine. I mean, I appreciate the flexibility that they give. What I would do sometimes for complex routings, I would actually buy two separate tickets. Sometimes it works out. So I would do like the return to London. So that's one leg. And then I would do the rest in other, in a different leg sometimes. But you have to make the calculations to be sure you're not screwed up because of the pricing. Yes. That works sometimes. Or alternatively, you can book coach and then uh, you can upgrade yourself on some legs as well. That's sometimes possible, but you never know in advance. So, But you know what? Call them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you if you have time, guys, if you want to do this, call call the airline. I know it's very old fashioned for us to say call when we're boasting about using Twitter, but you know they are they are still more flexible than doing on their websites. Yeah, absolutely, and they obviously know their their inventory and product and systems inside and out. The only other thing that this whole process of literally weeks of research has has revealed to me or confirmed to me is that. We so get screwed living in England. Oh, yeah. So Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll give oh, you a yeah. really, really, really quick example. Frankfurt, Dubai, Singapore, Shanghai, Dubai, Frankfurt, 2,049 euros. Frankfurt, Dubai, Singapore, Shanghai, Dubai, London. So the only thing that's changing is the destination city at the very, very end, 3,651 euros. Wow. Just to yeah. go slightly further west. For me, it's always the same, Come boils down to the same thing. We don't have enough capacity in, in London, uh, so that precludes competition. So yes. then it's much easier for the airlines to keep prices up. I mean, I was looking again to fly to New York in a month, a month and a half, actually. The prices are just insane. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you fly from Amsterdam, from Madrid, from Oslo, from Paris, from any, pretty much any city in Europe is going to be like 30% less. Of course, part of that is that we have this special tax in the UK for our air duty tax, but that does not explain it completely. The tax is not like, you know, a thousand euros. What is, is there's not enough slots. There's not enough competition. We need more slots. Thus, we need either a new runway, a new airport. I don't know. Yeah, at that point, I'm like, figure out something, whatever. (laughs) Just give us more capacity over London because that's really really insane. Since we're on that topic, uh, you were also considering Etihad. I was. You found exactly what we've been talking in the past two episodes that, well, some of the legs you would have flown uh, the Air Seychelles, I think was it? Yes. And uh, again, I mean, we mentioned Jet Airways, the Indian carrier, the other time which uh, um, Emirates, uh, sorry, Etihad sometimes uses. 
But here was Air Seychelles, which again, it's a different product. So you're buying Etihad and you end up in another aircraft. It's That's not okay. And and they didn't do a good job of of really highlighting the fact that you were going to be on Air Seychelles metal. You had to kind of click down a couple of levels to, to, be, to figure that out. On the flip side, I found a fair that was the cheapest of all of the fares, marketed it as Air Berlin, all the way from Frankfurt to Singapore and back Air Berlin. But it was the whole thing was on Etihad Metal. But it was cheaper. Way cheaper. That's incredible, right? <laughs> yeah. It, uh, again, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. The whole thing is is infuriating, quite frankly. As a pure anecdote, the last time I flew Etihad, uh, it was actually Etihad Metal. I was flying out from Manchester, the airport we could talk in today, and uh, you know the the pre-recorded message that welcomes you at the beginning was like, "Welcome, uh, we are flying to the Seychelles." And it was like, "What?" what? <laughs> oh, yeah, for the the wrong one. So anyway, yeah, it's it's something though that Etihad is uh, starting to figure out. So uh, because it told the news that they were introducing their own metal to uh, the US, for instance. So probably, you know, they're growing so fast that they don't have enough planes. So they're using this, uh, their network of carriers where, where they own sticks in. But the problem is, this yes. should be more straightforward. I'd be okay to fly our Seychelles. Just tell me and not have the surprise when you arrive in, in the airport that, oh, this is not what I was expecting. Uh, I flew myself to Athens, uh, back and forth, a very simple routing this time with uh, Aegean Airlines. The only reason I mention it is because it's a great airline in Europe. I have heard nothing but good things about those guys. Yeah, it's 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 really, really, really a solid airline. It's uh, the, the, you, the the training of the staff is especially outstanding because they they keep smiling. They have this very empathic way of dealing with customers and i mean you know it's still a medium i would say medium haul so do not expect anything uh, out of the hard product it's uh, you know it's a320 like is there I, anything I that differentiates it I no mean, i mean the, the, i mean i was in premium so i was or... i was in, i was in, in business class it was a it was great food greek food it was really fantastic but again you know most of the airlines in europe uh, i had a friend of mine john pivoy from uh, ireland asking me about should i upgrade i think it was flying lufthansa from uh, dublin to frankfurt it was like oh they're giving me an offer to upgrade in business class uh to Frankfurt, and I think it was a hundred euros or something. It was like, Paul, is it worth it? I'm like, you know, in Europe, it's almost never worth it. You have the free seat next to you. You have sometimes not more leg room because they are basically the same seats. You have, you know, you have a cup of champagne and a better food. But for flights that are an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, is it really worth it? It's going to be the same A320. I, I, I always would try to upgrade myself in long haul in Europe. Honestly, yeah, no, agreed. No, agreed. No, it's just, it's not worth it. Even for 100 euros, I'm like, you know what? Just get that 100 euros. Are and you going to get 100, 100 euros worth of booze? No. Uh, no. <laughs> or not even the food. I mean, just exactly. get a nice meal at the airport or something, right? It's, yeah. uh, or even just simply buy access to the lounge, to a lounge. Uh, that would be sometimes like 30 euros. In most cases, in, in all continents, it's the same thing. Very rarely you have a premium product for domestic flights that is worth being upgraded to. Unless you do, you fly across the US from New York to San Francisco. Yeah, that's a seven hour flight. Okay, that's different, but that's, you know, but otherwise for two, three hours, it's, it's yeah. really worth no, it. No, I, still, I completely agree with you. Back to Aegean, great airline. Uh, I mean, they mostly fly obviously to Greece and, and Cyprus. So nothing, you know, they don't have like other uh, destinations are interesting. But if you fly to those countries, I would actually encourage you to check them out. They're actually great. Pricing is okay. Of course, you know, they also have the competition from 
the EasyJet and the Ryanairs, but it's a great airline. I and really, they, really love them. They've won Skytrax award after Skytrax yeah. award, haven't they? And, and deservedly so. The other thing that I also tell people, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned that on the show already, if you almost never fly Star Alliance, so let's say you are, you're flying on one world and you want to crewmize on one world, but you would, you sometimes, maybe twice, thrice a year, you fly, you have to fly on a Star Alliance product. Even if you don't fly in Aegean, then grab the card from Aegean, their Miles product, which is part of the, because that will be the one in Europe that gets you the fastest to the next level of status. You don't have to get that many miles to get to. I see, that's you know, clever. So, yeah, me, I mean, I, I mean, I'm on Lufthansa, I mean, the Lufthansa bit of the Star Alliance program, but do I do fly Star Alliance a lot? So I have my status there, but if I were to fly only a few times, you'd be like fast-tracked in a way to gold very quickly, and again, you don't have to fly Aegean. You just register to their a program, and then you'd give that card anytime you fly any Star Alliance product. So that's that's a, that's a good one to know for those of you who are, especially yeah. in the UK, and you are on one world, like many people, unlike me. Um, so yeah, that's a little trick for you guys. Uh, so going to the news, because we already spent almost 10 minutes talking about our own experiences. Uh, oh yeah, first... A simple news that uh, we found on, on Skift. Skift is always great resources for uh, everything travel. Well, basically, the demand for our travel is, has never been higher. Yes, it's very encouraging. It's been the, the highest demand for air travel in the past five years, and it, it was up 6.5% compared to 2014. That's impressive growth, and I think there's a lot of factors at uh, play here. But if you consider that against what was not massive economic growth on a, on a global scale, Mm -hmm. It's a very, very encouraging sign. And yeah, I mean, the usual stuff we, we talk here are clear. For instance, that the Middle Eastern airlines are grabbing shares everywhere. <laughs> well, that's not surprising. But yeah, it's it's good news. I mean, the economy is like we know, or even right now, kind of like very hesitating to, <laughs> that, to, to do the very least. But that's, that's good news for our travel. I think the fact that, you know, the low cost segment especially has been boosting a lot in the past five years. So that's that's actually uh, great news. We mentioned uh, last week that uh, Airbus was launching a venture arm. An airline that's, that's doing the same. It's something that is, you know, we know a lot of airlines that have launched innovation hubs, innovation programs and stuff like that. But venture arms is a, basically the next step. And it's JetBlue. Yeah, this is becoming very fashionable, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it is. And I, hey, I'm all for it. Um, oh yeah, we are, absolutely. I think it's... Uh, I think it's great. Um, JetBlue have always impressed me from, and they just had their 16th birthday yesterday. Oh, um, so happy, happy birthday! Because I'm I'm a huge fan of JetBlue. I think they do great, great work. I've got two segments with them coming up in about 10 days, so I'm um, oh, nice. looking forward to that. Uh, so they are basing this. Uh, they're calling it an incubator, and they're going to put it in the Silicon Valley, which is smart. Trying to, they're based in New York, which is uh, you know another great tech city, but. Putting it in the valley, I think, just gives them the most opportunity to get great people, to participate in, in rounds, however kind of early or late stage they might be. They claim, I don't know what you think about this, they claim that they're the first airline to open a venture capital arm in the valley. I'm not sure, actually. I know that. I, so I, Airbus have done it. Yes, I know. I know a few programs, but to be honest with you, I was about. It's, it's fun that you say that because I was about to say that we should, in, in one episode, maybe just do a little bit of research and look who does it. I haven't looked it up, but uh, is it the case 
Maybe. I don't know. I know that many other companies, you know, do that. And the automotive industry has done it. And there's a report that was, uh, I can find out if you want, talking about all the corporates that are opening these kind of programs or venture arms in the Valley. There's a lot of them doing that. It's true that in the report, I don't remember reading of any airlines having done so. So it might be possible that JetBlue is the first airline to, to do so, at least in the Valley. Yeah. I'd be pretty sure that there's another airline that was already has a venture arm, but maybe not located in the Valley. The one thing I'm hoping that this doesn't result in is patents. Patent, 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 patent that only JetBlue <laughs> can use. Um, and I yeah. think... I don't know if they'll do that. I think there was a there was a huge land grab when in-flight connectivity came out and JetBlue were heavily in the fray there with some of their uh, live TV stuff. They they had yep. a stake in the company that provided their pioneering live TV service. So I hope it doesn't go down that way. Um, yeah, but, I agree. you know, JetBlue, uh, get in touch. Let us know yes. what you're doing. I mean, yeah. Just and out of if any one of you wants to be, you know, on the show, we'll be happy to have dedicated a full show on about, you know, what type of projects, what is... What are your hopes? Because it's 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 really fascinating. Are they late? No, because uh, when you see other corporates again in other industries, they've just really started doing that. I mean, some very early adopters would have done that maybe three years ago, but the big ones are coming now. So it's it's the right period. I don't know. I'm very curious to see in what type of startups they will invest. Yeah, agreed. Because uh, we've seen. You see, Alex and myself, we're always talking about when we talk about new apps and new services, most of the time is about a new way of booking things. And uh, we would like to see a little bit more of stuff, you know, more innovative that we might even not think about. So it would be interesting to see. Uh, I, I follow AngelList about all the startups that are active in travel and, of course, the airline industry. I do the same on Crunchbase. I do... And it's really rare that there's really something that, you know, stands out that is completely new or different. It's yes. always, oh, we're offering a new way to book flights. Yeah, well, it's great, but it's, you know, none of the current OTAs have, have solved it completely. So there's still room for someone, but it's still one little tiny bit of the customer experience when it comes to flying. We'll no, see. I'm with you. I, I think... Uh... And also, I think that the people from outside the travel industry get halfway through a, a, a travel startup, and the deeper yeah. they go into the travel industry, or especially the airline reservation system, and just go, yeah, talking yeah, about the booking systems, uh, Expedia. There was, a, I know Expedia. You can, I mean, I've I've bought some flights on Expedia. I know that you're not a big fan of buying flights on Expedia. Yeah, I just think it's it's not flexible. For people like us who need to change things, it just doesn't work so well. Sometimes I have better pricing because I can face US denominated prices or simply because I want more flexibility than going to the airline itself. I've done it a few times, actually, I'm pretty happy with it, but it was never, I never searched on it. I, I knew exactly what I wanted. I put it there to see, is it, do I get something better and sometimes, but it's not particularly great, but it's a good average. And there was an article about that on Skeft again, where the CFO says, because that's the same line of uh, JetBlue. Uh, they says they want they will do more acquisition. They've acquired already Orbitz, Travel City, and Home Away. So these are not all about, of course, uh, air travel. But we are seeing a bit of consolidation in the industry. And one bit that was interesting uh, talking about that is that Expedia is actually uh, trying to implement a bidding system within its search results. So instead of you know now when you look for a hotel or on these sites, you'll have a promoted one at the top that says, okay, this one has a great deal. And it's like a Google ad, right? It's at the top because they've paid for it. So instead of doing a simply just having one price, they would now let hotels bid to be at the top of the list. Uh, I guess, obviously, they will limit the number of slots at the top. 
What I wanted to ask you, do you think one day that will happen for airline search as well? I hope not. (laughs) I I think the more that you interfere with the clear display of inventory, the more damage you're going to do. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, at the same time, there are so many players and they have to figure out a way of monetizing, especially because the margins are not that great. I mean, consolidation is one, you grow by acquisition. But it's one of those things where it's such a, for so many people, it's a price-based decision, right? I agree, and if especially you're, airlines. Yeah, if yeah. you're if you're prioritizing against another factor, in this case, because someone's paid you to promote that, you know, that flight or whatever, you're kind of just doing the whole customer disservice. I, I maybe they're going to find an elegant way to do it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was just I saw that and I said, oh, maybe someone will do it one day. I agree with you. The difference between a hotel. And, uh, and a flight is that a hotel, all hotels are different in a way, right? Although some people would say, yeah, all Hiltons or Intercons are the same any, everywhere, but they all have a specificity to them. Whereas an air travel, it's almost like a commodity flying, especially in coach. The, the only thing that I think, I mean, and the example that they give is a good one because it's usually distressed inventory. So you're displaying a discounted fare or, or in the, a rate for hotels in, in context. Like ordinarily, this would fall outside of your search parameters, but because of this bidding or thing, we could actually, it does fall in and we're highlighting that fact. That's okay. And booking.com yep. actually do a good job of that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Google. So Google is the the, the, the gorilla in the room, right? Because uh, we know that this is actually the year in October, 2016, their agreement after they bought ITA matrix that you just mentioned, uh, so, uh, sorry, ITA, they uh, will uh, be able to have freer hands to play around with uh, this is a big air deal. travel. This is a <laughs> so, big deal. Yeah. So we'll see that. That's in October. See the, at the tail end of the year. Uh, but they've already been gearing up. We've been mentioning them many, many times on this show. And uh, there's an, uh, an interview that, again, in Skift, you know, you see that Skift is a great resource. And it's interesting because they're starting owning the full, basically, customer journey. Because I've already seen that. Now, if I go on Google Maps and I look for a hotel because I, I want to know exactly where it is located, I'll, yes. have, I'll have on the side book there. So it's there. you're not booking through them. They will offer you sometimes booking.com, et cetera. But I mean, the, the entire search is done there. And it's just the last bit, which is book on Google, which happens for the hotels. They're introducing that for flights as well. So again, they're not being the seller themselves. It's just an additional layer, but more since since Google Flights is so well done, since they own ITA Matrix, although they haven't done any work on ITA Matrix itself, more and more, you'd be finding yourself staying within the Google Playground and just at the very tail end, you'll be clicking on a button to actually book it, which means that, of course, Google will get more data about you. Will also, and that's a good thing probably, although there's privacy concerns here, will offer you a better customer experience because they will know that Alex Hunter is that type of flyer, that type of traveler, that type of destination guy. He likes that kind of things, that kind of hotels, that kind of flights. And he also, they will say, and that's already starting actually, they will know that you have status at, I don't know, One World. And yeah. so they will automatically kind of rank maybe the One World higher and tell you, okay, this is a good deal for you because you have status. It's interesting, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I think the possibilities for them are huge. I think it's going to be massive panic stations for <laughs> the, in, the intermediaries and, and, and maybe the providers. In fact, definitely the providers because Google will have so much clout that they can really, really drive them hard on commission. Yeah, which is why... We've, what I just mentioned, I guess we're seeing consolidation in industry because the other players are like, okay, Google is coming. We need to have like some 
certain mass to survive against Google. And on the same time, we you remember we mentioned that Lufthansa now is putting, if you're buying a ticket outside of Lufthansa properties, they will hit you with an additional fee. So any OTA, so that includes Google one day, you, your flight would be slightly more expensive because they say, you know, only if you go on Lufthansa.com or whichever property by country, you will have the lowest price, which is Again, a resistance against Google as well. That's interesting, isn't it? A uh, small um, article, a uh, report that I found that was interesting. Uh, nothing surprising here, but it, uh, the title is it's on News, another very good uh, resources for you guys that are interested in both technology and travel. Direct flights are vital to startup success. Well, that's kind of obvious, right? But it's nice to see it in a report. They basically say that you are in the Silicon Valley fine, but if you have in any other places, the more direct flights you have to hubs like those, the more success you'll have in your startup. And of course, because, I mean, that's pretty evident, but uh, it's it, it, it comes a little bit what... Remember what Tim Clark said when he said that trade follows plane routes, and that's exactly that. You know, the more plane routes, the direct routes you have, the more trade you create. And of course, for startups, that's a boon as well. Absolutely. And I think that people look at the original Southwest model and try and emulate it, which was more of a hub and spoke model. Obviously, it's evolved massively since then. When Virgin America was starting, there was another airline starting called Skybus. They were routing all of their traffic through Columbus, Ohio, and they lasted two months, <laughs> three months maybe. And it just didn't work. People, And I think that this kind of reinforces that. So going to more sadly bad news, back to some terror, on February 2nd, suddenly on Twitter, I saw a picture of uh, an aircraft with a little hole in it. And the guy who had written that, that tweet said, oh, there's a suspicious incident that happened in Somalia, and immediately you and me were like, okay, that looks more than suspicious. It's like a hole that looks really like not just a hole that just happens, you know. <laughs> and very quickly that it unfolded that it was an actual explosion, that it was a bomb. There's a lot of speculation, but basically it was a terror attack. Right? It was. This was the if if I had watched a movie and this had happened, I would have gone, This is the most unrealistic crap I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> this this wouldn't happen. The hole wouldn't look like that. No one would get sucked out. And yet all of those things actually happen and more. First of all, there are videos, they're a bit graphic, but I mean, you don't see somebody being, being ejected off the plane because the terror attacker was actually ejected out of the plane uh, after the, the bomb exploded. We'll come to that in a second. There are videos of after the fact. So the plane landed back safely. Everybody's okay. So that's how there are some people that were injured, but nothing grave. But all of this is just luck, right? It's the most extraordinary thing. So this guy got onto the airplane in a wheelchair. Uh, we should say this was in Somalia. Some people say the airport was so secure, it was like being in a green zone uh, in Afghanistan. And others, some pilots who flew in there uh, regularly said, there is literally no security. Mm -hmm. uh, this chap used a wheelchair to hide the fact that he was uh, had a bomb with him and also had no one sitting next to him. The plane takes off and he detonates whatever device he has. It creates a like almost cartoonish hole yeah, exactly. in the side of the fuselage. He also picked the strongest point of the airplane above the wings and is subsequently sucked out of the airplane in the clearest definition of karma that I have ever witnessed. And <laughs> so, so that, I mean, it was the plane lands. Unbelievable kudos to the pilots. Kudos to Airbus for creating an airplane that can withstand that. But where it got dark quickly was the revelation that this flight was supposed to be operated 
by Turkish Airlines. Correct. And they pulled out at the last minute because there were weather concerns. So this this airline uh, stepped in to wet lease and, and do the flight. Dalo Airlines, who I... Dalo Airlines, from Mogadishu. From Mogadishu, who I had yeah. never heard of. But the bomber was, was on a Turkish Airlines manifest and boarded the plane with a Turkish Airlines boarding pass. So his and his sort of backer's intent was to blow up a Turkish Airlines airplane in flight. The other part of the luck is that the bomb was supposed to be detonated in much higher altitude. One of the reasons of this cartoonish uh, hole in the, in the plane is that at that point of the flight, it was still, still not in cruising altitude. So the, the pressure within the plane was still not at its highest. Thus, only this little hole happened would have that bomb been oh. detonated at much higher altitude. So a bit later, probably maybe was he stressed out and there were a lot of delays. I don't know. Maybe the bomb was supposed to be set off at a certain time. All this, we don't know. We might learn one day. But that would have been catastrophic. We cannot say the extent of the catastrophe, but at least it would be much, much graver than what we had. So that's why I'm, I'm saying there was luck because, you know, there were only him got basically at the end killed. And of probably the aircraft will have to be discarded. But that's it. It could have been much graver. It could have been. And also the consequences, if it were a Turkish airline plane, would have been like much more massive. Not to disqualify anything about Dallas Airlines, but I think the repercussions internationally would have been much graver. Absolutely. Uh, and again, I I never heard of them before this. They are based in Djibouti, I think. No, they're based in Dubai, apparently. But it's the whole thing just reads like a bad movie plot. Yeah, absolutely. I um, agree. Yeah. So and, I, I, no one, I don't think anybody has claimed responsibility officially for it. But no. I think that the, the fact that only the bomber was killed makes the whole thing laughable until the Turkish Airlines thing is, is brought into it. Now, why does it matter that it was Dalo Airlines versus Turkish Airlines? Well, it just indicates a much broader plot. Some Absolutely. psycho uh, on, a, on a very small carrier yeah. uh, in an already unstable part of Africa. CNN reported that there were uh, CCTV that caught apparently that guy with two uh, airport workers that gave him a laptop, was it? So I I'm not sure if it was pre-security, post-security. So that might say that, you know, there were some holes in the safety of the, of the airport. Uh, and maybe also, like you said, it's a broader plan. It was not just one guy trying. It was being everything was executed according to a plan that was search and planning that much in advance. The other bit, which is controversial because of the source itself, so do not take my word for it, there are uh, there were comments that Turkey would not investigate this yeah, incident. What, what's the story there? I don't know. So because this is this is a bit murky because you know this there's this whole and we're not going to go into international politics, but there's this whole the source of that comment is actually Russian and we know that Russia and Turkey we, we mentioned that uh, jet that got shut down over uh, Turkish airspace the Russian state was not it was still over Syria so there are a lot of stake here so I don't know exactly if the source is reliable but still it's a murky affair we haven't learned the end of it I mean there have been several affairs in the past few months sadly so it doesn't make air travel less secure but it's true that Again, it's like, sadly, it's an airport that might not be completely up to the standards of uh, yes. safety. And I'm not saying that to diss anyone at Mogadishu Airport, but we know that there are airports that are more 
porous. That's a word you've been using when we talked about Mauritius, more porous than others. So we'll see. I mean, we'll learn probably more, but uh, guys, still do not freak out. It's still very safe to fly, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Since we're talking about Turkey, is going to more lighter news. During the Super Bowl, have you watched the Super Bowl? I was unable to stay awake for the whole <laughs> thing, but I did see the highlights. And it did yes. not go the way I thought it would. No, me happen. neither, actually. It was, uh, I watched it, uh, I missed the last quarter because, honestly, uh, it was not smooth and enthralling game of, of them all. No. Uh, so it was a very defense-oriented game, which is not always the most, uh, unless you're really into football and you really like tactics, which some of my friends are, I mean, I was like, oh, come on, this is not <laughs> moving. So basically, I fell asleep. But there was an advertising, which we didn't have here in the UK. Only if you were in the US, you had access to advertising. But most of the videos, most of the ads were, of course, then on YouTube. It's very funny because Turkish Airlines has actually done an advertising about flying to Gotham City. <laughs> so it's very funny because it's a tie-in between the forthcoming movie Batman versus Superman and Turkish. So Turkish already is the airline that flies in the most destinations as well. I think it's over 400. I don't remember the exact number now. But they're also so adding they're, they're fictitious running, right, Exactly. They're running out of places to claim they fly to. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. They, oh, come on. It's, it's a fun tie-in. Yeah, marketing, their is, marketing is really solid, honestly. It's absolutely solid. And I think that uh, their agency of record is Crispin Border. Crispin yes. Border Bogusky. Yes. Uh, yes, yes who yes, do yes. phenomenal work. Uh, and I've obviously got like Barcelona and a bunch of other kind of sports stars. Kobe Bryant, Lionel Messi. To be their ambassadors, and it's yeah. worked really, really well. So I, I thought it was fun. Why not? Uh, and <laughs> since we're talking about movies, I watch pretty much only watch movies in flight. I mean, I never sadly have time to go to the cinema. I've done some exception for Star Wars or James Bond, but that's pretty much it. I rarely also watch movies on TV, though. I I know a little plug here. I recently started watching Amazon Prime Videos, whatever it's called, and that's actually a really cool product. And then. Well, apparently, this is a new type of amenity in airports is to have a cinema. Have you ever seen a cinema in an airport yourself? Well, uh, Changi's got a... Yeah, Changi's got one, but have you ever been okay. into one? Yeah, yeah, I, I've been into oh. the one in Changi. This one in Portland is cool, though, because it's kind of recreating an old-timey cinema. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, Portland is a, is definitely a kind of creative type of town, uh, a media type of town. So I think it, it fits really well, and it's going to be open 24-7. I think it's going to be quite Portland-centric content. Yeah, that's what I think. As opposed to normal movies, whereas Changi is regular movies. Uh, Cheplak Kok in Hong Kong uh, has an IMAX. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, in Terminal 2. Uh, which is the, the yeah yeah wow. the regional terminal uh, they have an IMAX oh that's something I have to check out next time in Hong yeah, Kong yeah and then. that's that's where their their airline museum aviation museum is and that's how you get off onto the roof of the terminal to see all the I planes and things okay. so terminal so yeah it's 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 good but so. They are certainly the first airport in America to have anything like this. But they're not really a hub, though. Actually, you know what? That's not true. Uh, uh, Minneapolis has an oh. as a cinema, but this one is a little bit different. It's kind of art house. Uh, it's very, very Portland. Portlandish, yeah, absolutely. It's cool. I mean, <laughs> yeah, good is. for them. Why not? I agree. I agree. So since we talked about movies, since we talked about in-flight entertainment, and we talked about Turkish is very good at marketing, the other airline that is obviously extremely good at marketing is Emirates, which we mentioned at the beginning, which you will fly. And they've just came up with a new uh, initiative. They always came up with these crazy stunts and crazy stuff. But this is pretty cool, actually. And this one, you can actually enjoy it on your computer. Uh, view from above, it's uh, a tie-in between themselves and Boeing. 
if you go on a website, I recommend you doing that on a desktop computer, not on a mobile. You can browse the earth in a 3D environment and choose, you know, you can like spin the earth like you would have, you know, these old uh, globes Globe. you'd have on your on your desk. You can spin the earth and go to a destination. They have, have fantastic movies being made about that city, that destination, and they, everything was made with drones. It's really cool. It's very cool. I mean, again, Ember is just smashing it uh, from the uh, from the marketing perspective. And what is interesting is that they've done it with Boeing. Yeah. So, so do you think they were Boeing, like actual Boeing drones, like the big airplane size drones? Or do you think that they were quadcopters, like a DJI That's the thing I'm not sure. That's the thing I'm not sure. If you read the press release, it doesn't kind of... For they, me, if they were uh, Boeing drones, they would have pushed it much more. It's just they just say, "Oh, we've partnered with Boeing. And we've done the first ever travel old film with drones," but they don't seem to be advertising the fact that they are Boeing drones. So I'm not actually entirely sure. I don't know if it's just a, a tie-in of advertising. By the way, it would be really interesting to, and I've done, I just came up with that to check the cities that they've put there because they say they will expand it. And maybe they are only cities where the 777 flies and not the A380. I'm not sure about that one. Though. That's interesting. Yeah, because if it's Boeing, I mean, come on, they have to be flying Yeah, the but I mean, would you invest that level of content in, a, in something that might, like, you know, change? Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, very cool content again. Yeah. And talking about uh, cool content that just came up yesterday, the first ever Zero Gravity music video. This was cr- and of course, there was only one band in the world that was going to do this. Yes. Okay, go. Obviously. Um, <laughs> they partnered with a Russian airline, which I had heard the name once or twice, but I've, the first time I actually looked them up, they are actually based in Siberia, S7 Airlines. And uh, you said, because we were exchanging yesterday, that you think that the actual aircraft must be an A320. I think it's an A320. Like always, you know, like I replied to you, like uh, all the aircrafts in the world are A320s nowadays. <laughs> but it's it's a really cool video because you can see, you know, they do the zero gravity that these flights you can do at NASA or uh, there are other, a few other companies offering that for consumers. We were wondering if they had a hard time finding company because there's they had, no way they could have done this anywhere except Russia. <laughs> but it's great advertising for S7 because I show them in a very and now I, I know the airline. I check them out. Obviously, unless I go to Russia, I would probably not fly them. But they actually do fly in countries in Europe in the MENA regions. It's not only like a Russian for Russians a company, but it's a great tie-in. I love it. I, I really. I, I don't understand how the hell they did this because they claim they did it in one take and you can see they've got a foot bar to kind of keep themselves thin. but the way that these weightless things normally work is you you do parabolas yes. arcs but maybe by one take they say that they've gone through like multiple parables one after the other right and okay go uh, released on their instagram account I think three behind the scenes video. <laughs> the reason I, I encourage you to watch them is that of course the, the end product of music video is very neat but you can see how the behind the scenes is a much messier thing to be done because, of course, when you start to be in zero gravity, everything flies, you know, all the way and you have to kind of organize it to make it look good. It's, it's actually fun to watch. It's amazing. It really is mind-blowing. And you think, yeah, yeah, this has got to be computer-generated, but it's clearly not. Back to IFEs. There are a lot of IFEs. Uh, I mentioned, uh, I think, four episodes ago that my current favorite is Turkish, the new Turkish one. They have 20 different IFEs. <laughs> one of the A330s is my favorite one. Panasonic just uh, presented a new type of IFE. 
The very cool thing about it is that, and I think it works by you taking, you snap from your phone uh, QR code on the IFE, and then basically your phone becomes the kind of the remote control. You can access all the content. You must be much snappier. What do you think? Is it it's, a good idea? It's clever. What I like about it is that we said, well, you remember when I flew that Astana Airlines, they gave me the iPad and I told you that probably that was the snappiest IFE I ever had. That's the thing. If it's your phone, at least you will be snappy. Sometimes these touch screens that they offer you, even at Emirates, are a bit slow to respond because obviously, you know, they have all these safety things they have to, you know, these people complain that they are not like their TV screen. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Because <laughs> if, they, if you crash it, especially if you hit your head against it, it's going to be very damaging. So it's, it could be a nice idea. I mean, yeah, and we, we, we know how iOS applications generally work. Yep. You know, we, so uh, I, I like it. I would love to play with it. Uh, do they so have a launch customer for it? I think it's more than a concept. Maybe they're shopping around, actually, and try to sell it. So uh, we'll see if that ever translates into something that we'll see in our flights. Although we know that a lot of airlines are moving into your content only. So you're in charge, but you're in charge as in you bring your own bring content your own as well. Content, or they're streaming it from a box. <laughs> yeah, they're streaming from a box, exactly, which is actually makes a lot of sense. I would actually appreciate that as well. I've never actually been in a flight that does that yet. I'd, I'd love to try once to... I've, I bought an iPad Pro, so now it's got a big, massive screen. So I would like to see how it actually works to stream content from, from a box. I think it would be interesting. Yeah, to it's, it works. I mean, I've had a very limited experience with Southwest, but it worked really, really well. So talking about being in charge, two news uh, about unions. The first one is actually pretty interesting. It's BA. So the, the <laughs> female British cabin crew have won the rights to wear trousers, pants, if you want, if you're talking American. What do you think about this? I didn't even know this was a debate. Yeah, like Exactly. I mean, that was my first thing. I was like, what? They were there forced to not wear? I, I didn't know that. And I didn't realize they had to go to court to actually win that. I would, crazy. When you think about I've seen, I, I, I don't have a proper recollection because I would have to dig into my memory, but I've seen trousers for, for female crew in many airlines, and that's never actually shocked me or anything it's i found it totally normal but for me you know welcome to the 21st century yeah i mean come on let let women have trousers so well well, it's an extraordinary thing isn't it yeah but i mean at least they won Uh, yeah exactly (laughs) the other news was this again can i said it to me it is the title itself is pretty crazy current air pilots are demanding a 37 pay raise or else they are fly for china (laughs) what wow (laughs) I don't know what the airline's going to do, but what I find interesting is like, you do that or we going off and fly in China. That's interesting. It's such a, <laughs> it's such a kind of political threat, isn't it? It's, it's, it's. But I, oh, I think also because. That's Chinese, aggressive bargaining. I think because Chinese airlines are growing so fast that they're lacking talent. They're lacking pilots. They're lacking, you know, qualified people. So they are actually poaching uh, people from the region. Asiana has already lost pilots to Chinese uh, Really? Airlines. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. So I think it's because there's this poaching war, uh, probably the, they have some bargaining leverage. You can say, you know what, give us a raise, or we'll just accept the job offers that the Chinese are giving us. It shows the growth of the Chinese market, the ruthlessness about trying to grow as fast as they can by just poaching talent where they can find, which, you know, after all, is competition. So yeah. Since we're in China, uh, we talked many times about passengers that were drunk in planes and that had needed to be uh, either sedated, controlled. Or they tried to set the things on fire or open the doors <laughs> in mid-flight. 
And there were, to be to be fair, there were quite a few stories in China of uh, passengers doing crazy stuff as well. I don't know if there are more than we have here in the UK, drunk passengers coming back from Ibiza or something. <laughs> but they are actually now, basically, they will name and shame. Yeah, it's a good idea. They are... There's five airlines who are working together to keep this list of unruly passengers, which makes total sense. It's not as aggressive as the U.S. no-fly list, but it's a rare example of these fragmented and fractured Chinese airlines working together. Although, if you look at the ownership hierarchy of Chinese airlines, there's like 50 different airlines, but they all have four or five different parents. Yeah, it's true. But so no, I think it's a, it, it makes total sense. Still in China, Alex and myself are, the, of course, the big fans of the 747. Uh, Saudia just announced that it will retire its uh, 747-400, another airline that goes with our 747s. Air France, I think it was in the last episodes, has retired its 747. They just came up actually with a video, this really cool video about you know, jets flying along with the 747. It's very interesting because in France, they said that it was a flagship of, of French engineering. And you're like, yeah, but the 747 is Boeing. <laughs> I, they, were, they were actually quite a number of pieces in the Boeing that were from French company because of the source, wherever the best comes up. I say that because the, I first saw this news on a friend of mine, Cédric Ingrand, who is French. And you could see the reaction of all these French friends like, what? But the 747 is not French. What the hell are France is talking about? But I still think that it's nice that they're giving this nice uh, goodbye to this uh Yeah, they've, done, they've done a good job. I'll, I'll put the, the video. But the, there was this article that said that if you want to have any chances flying a 7 or seeing basically a 747 in the future, China. you basically have to go to China. China, yeah. And this was actually a really a very interesting article that said that Chinese airlines are snapping up these used but still very usable planes for a fraction of what their initial purchase like five percent of the original purchase price or or, or marketed price anyway Uh, and then they have this really interesting video of the conversion from a passenger 747 400 to a cargo so which is interesting in and of itself but China seems to be snapping these up, and I think very sensible. We'll have to relocate there. The 747-8, so the latest 747. Which I still have not flown on. Yeah, me neither. Uh, Lufthansa is our shot, man. Uh, the, they currently are building 12 a year, and starting September 2016, it will be only six a year. So they're basically reducing the, the production line by 50%. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. That's ouch, hard. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Someone needs to buy. Emirates, come to your senses and buy a hundred of them or yeah, something. You, exactly. have the, you have the cash, you know, and we ask you, we're begging you to do this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or Etihad, instead of flying SHLs and Jet Airways, just buy 747-8. Alex will fly you all the time. He promises Absolutely. you that right now. Uh, seen on, the, uh, on that same aircraft, shout out to Marcus Volter. He's hosted a podcast episode on Omega Tau talking about Flying the Shuttle Carrier Aircraft, that's a really cool episode of that podcast. So basically, for those who don't know, those who don't remember, the American Space Shuttle, when it needed to be flown in places on Earth, was on top of a 747. So so if it had landed somewhere like Edwards Air Force Base, which was a backup landing strip versus the the primary ones in, in Florida, then to get it back... 
they would strap it to the back of a 747, which is just so crazy. <laughs> and the episode goes on into the spe- how they modified the aircraft to, of course, accommodate a space shuttle on top of it. The two tail numbers were NASA 911 and NASA 905. It's a really cool story. If you're into that type of geeky stuff, you should absolutely listen to that podcast. It's a really, really, really nice episode. So kudos to Marcus for uh, having uh, hosted that episode. Someone who's basically been around the industry as as long as the 747 and uh, the 747 is retiring while well, he's retiring as well is Anderson. Yes. It's kind of caught me by surprise when this me was too. announced. So Delta, <laughs> Delta CEO Richard Anderson announced that he was retiring. And the president, I think his name is Ed Bastian, is going to take over uh, as the CEO. I think he retires at the beginning of May. Correct. But um, I mean, he's done a lot. I, whatever you may think about his positioning with the ME3 and Perhaps that precipitated this. Oh, maybe you're that, right. Actually. I mean, if it was sort of if it's unraveling behind the scenes that this is a losing battle and you don't want this to completely besmirch his his legacy because he really did do a good job turning that airline around. Uh, so there, yeah, that, he, that's yeah, my amazing. conspiracy theory. <laughs> but then again, you know, after all these years, at the same time, he's, it was a great run. He turned the company around. They both Northwest. He basically almost removed itself from LaGuardia, which is a great thing, and built capacity at JFK. It made it the most profitable airline in the U.S. I mean, you almost wanted to leave at a high like this and say, you know what, maybe the, you know, now it's going to be the hardest to kind of maintain that the number one position. So why not just leave and lead it to someone else? I don't know. But again, we know it's a, not the most likable CEO because he's, you mentioned the word dull last time yeah. we talked about him, but he's done a fantastic job as a CEO. The shareholders are extremely happy. So we'll see. Maybe that will open a new page at Delta's history. We'll see what happens after May too. But happy retirement. I, I hope he has something to do with the rest of his life. Because well, he's he still going to be executive chairman of the airline. Okay. So he's going to give some type of, of yeah. direction. So. I, and remember, he's the guy who doesn't like golf. Exactly. That's, why I'm, that's exactly why I was saying that. What will he do for his retirement? Because he, had, he doesn't like schmoozing, doesn't like golf, he doesn't like... I was like, okay, well, so maybe he does paper airplanes or something. <laughs> or you know what, Richard, if you're listening to us, come on the show. You'll have time now and yeah, we'll be happy to interview, for, uh, to interview you and to challenge you on some of your stuff. And maybe actually you can convince us. You know, I, was, I used to be a very big Delta uh, loyal customer. I'm not anymore. So you know, maybe I could be bow to come back that's usually called status matching by the way yeah. uh, <laughs> so you mentioned that uh, the airlines have run out of things to charge us for in fees yeah <laughs> the last episode that was a great quote i loved it a guy made a calculation i don't know if they're robust or not you'll tell me what you think about whether or, or not the fuel surcharge is fair or not yeah he, he it's it's a good analysis i think it's you know a sample size of, of one but he looked at the fuel surcharge for the distance, and then looked at the total fuel consumption of the airplane and that cost, and realized that he was being overcharged by about sixty-five bucks. Now, you know, again, I don't. I think his methodology was sound. He was making the massive assumption that his the estimated actual fuel cost would would vary because of this massive fluctuation in oil price. But that's not. I don't think that's how it's. It's calculated, but it kind of highlights an important point that no one is really sure how that fuel surcharge is calculated. More importantly, why are we still being charged today? It was introduced when airlines were really struggling and 
and oil was 150 bucks a barrel. Those two things couldn't be further from reality anymore, and yet we're yeah. still getting gouged, frankly. Yeah. Weirdly, this blog post has disappeared, as has the website, so yes. he's probably <laughs> in some kind of basement chained to the wall for exposing <laughs> this thing. Uh, but you, You're coming up with a lot of conspiracy theories today, Alex. Yeah, I feel like everybody's watching me, Paul. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I just think that there's so much of this stuff where like, come on, just give us the straight answer. And come on, it's one of the only industries in the world when you have one price and then you have so many other little prices that don't make any sense. Such a bunch of crap. Just give us like a one single price and let's be done with it. Stop with your charges, basically. And you see that when you try to to buy uh, award booking tickets, you know. So basically, when you buy a ticket with your miles, suddenly the the ticket with your miles is like ten percent. The rest is like, oh, but you still have to pay all these charges. And you're like, yeah, but that's the price of the ticket, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah, and since we're talking about oil, uh, there's a new oil producer in town. No, it's not new, but it's Iran. We mentioned as well many episodes that flights were due to reopen, that they have acquired a lot of Airbus planes. Uh, Iran Air has acquired a lot of planes. So this this country is coming back to life for yeah. the rest of us, which is great news. British Airways. British Airways actually... have said that they will start flying there in July, which is hugely exciting. And just another reason to go and check this place out. I can't wait. I really am excited about going to, to check out Iran for, for so many reasons. One, because we couldn't for so long or just right. it was massively ill-advised. And two, because every Iranian person I've ever met has been utterly delightful. I uh, totally agree. They have great food, great wine. It's a beautiful country. Exactly. It's a, so it's what a is mesmerizing like? country. Yeah, exactly. Let's, so, I mean, um, so go. Go to Iran and – I might go in April. I still don't know which airline I'm going to fly. Surely Emirates. If I go there. Yeah, because it, it looks like, first, again, I have status, that kind of lock-in we're always talking about. You know, guys, Iran Air, I'll try you one day, I promise you. But when you have your new fleet, I'm not sure I want to try 35-year-old planes and where you were precluded to have replacement pieces. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, but me convince me otherwise. All my Iranian friends... Tell us what you used to go to Tehran. Maybe uh, we can be convinced to try an airline that is different that we might have never even heard about. But probably, of course, Emirates will be the one I'm using. The one uh, that I could have been using, but no, it's uh, I could have been using a a supersonic flight, but they don't exist anymore. But there's been this kind of revival this past few months about everybody having projects about doing a new Concorde or something. And now NASA is reviving the X-Plane. Can you tell us what the X-Plane is, for those who don't know? The X-Plane was this project that looked at both supersonic and subsonic, really high-efficiency airplanes. This was like, oh gosh, 10 or 15, maybe even 25, 30 years ago. Yeah, I would say more 25 years ago, yeah. Um, And they've just... And obviously, there was a lot going on at NASA with the space shuttle disasters and then the sunsetting of that entire program. But they've just got really new, um, hefty budget announced for fiscal year 2017 that includes this X-Plane revival. So I think it, it, it the timing is perfect because, as we mentioned in the last episode, we're really pushing the envelope with long haul, like these 20-hour – what was it, Rome to Sydney that they wanted to do with <laughs> yeah, Emirates, Emirates wanted to. Yeah. But a lot more of these routes coming up and the the ULRs are, are, are becoming more and more popular that it feels like the next logical step is to figure out how we can do these things faster. 
I, I am excited. I want somebody to crack this so we can have something like Concorde back again. If only because we've never flown the Concorde. We hear so many people of the previous generation that, it, that are teasing us of like, oh, yeah, I remember when I was going to New York in three hours. You're like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to do it. Although I agree with you. I hope somebody cracks, cracks it. I still not sure it will happen before 20 to 30 years. I mean, they have. I agree. Been, Massive investment. The Chinese maybe will will come up with something because they're investing massively in that industry as well. But it, it looks like this timeline. And you know what? Especially when you have very low oil price, you can go both ways. You can go, oh, we don't care. We can use as much fuel as we want, which I doubt that people do because you know that there's a volatility in the market. But it can also create this kind of thing like, oh, yeah, but these kind of planes are still very heavy consumers of, of fuel that might not be the best idea to develop because it might not make economical sense, especially because people are not ready to pay vast amount of money for to fly. I don't know which way we'll go. We'll mention in the next episode. There's also another thing, of course, is the environmental issues about the pollution created by oh. all these air travel. So And the sonic booms and everything like that. Yeah. By the way, totally irrelevant to that, since I mentioned Amazon Video Prime, there's a, a show called The Man in the High Castle. Oh, yeah. It's about this kind of dystopian reality where Hitler had won the war and, uh, you know, basically the United States is divided between the greater Nazi Reich and the Japanese Pacific States, I think it's called. The reason I mention it, in, in there, the, the Germans have what looks like a Concorde <laughs> to fly between New York and San Francisco. And you're like, that is something I wish existed. Yeah. And you can hear the sonic boom a few times in the show, actually. So that's actually a pretty cool. I love the that. That's so cool. And uh, finally, our uh, Russians friends might be coming up with yet another competitor to Airbus and Boeing. Yes, their Ecojet, the frigate Ecojet. I am happy that this is happening. I think that the more manufacturers you have, the better competition you have and the lower the prices are. And also, the more people that are innovating in the space. I think that's yes. probably the most important thing. But it's called the Frigate Ecojet, which, as the CNN article points out, is rather in an elegant name. Uh, <laughs> yes, I would actually agree, yes. But uh, it, it's it's a big, big plane. It's They reckon between 276 and 358 uh, passengers, it is on paper only right now. So it'll be interesting to see if this goes anywhere. And they're really going after the two biggest, the two most successful the big aircraft. Dogs. Yeah. The 320 and the 737. So maybe it means there's actually room in the market for them and probably the Chinese as well, because, you know, the Chinese are coming as they, well. Absolutely. Them. So, uh, well, good luck to them. And for us, again, we always like to, to try new aircraft. So I hope they actually succeed. But again, do not expect that tomorrow. No. Maybe we'll land one day at Manchester Airport. Uh, so Manchester Airport, do you like it? I do. It's the So it's the busiest UK airport outside of London. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it is not a small airport. It has a lot of international traffic. I mean, you flew uh, Etihad on them, Cathay, fly there, Swiss, uh, Qatar Airways, Hainan, uh, a lot of, so a lot of traffic to Asia. For mm -hmm. sure. Uh, Delta, I think American fly there as well. Yeah, they do. In fact, why am I even saying that? I flew on American into Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> PIA, and of course, Virgin do some of their uh, their bucket and spade uh, traffic there. So this is not a small 
regional airport. This is a big not at all. Yeah, it's a very big airport. Yeah, yeah. Twenty three million passengers a year. I like. I like it. It's a very well connected airport to get into yes. the city. Yes. And, and if you haven't been to Manchester, great city. I agree. Great yes. city. I agree. When most people talk about coming to the UK, London, 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 London. Remember, the city is the second biggest uh, economical center in the UK. That's also why there's all these airlines flying there. You know, they just don't fly there because there are slots. It's actually, they fly there because they are. there's a reason to. So it's, uh, I've only experienced Terminal 1. It probably is the oldest one because it kind of shows a little bit. It's not, you know, the terminals at uh, Heathrow, for instance, to compare it with something in the UK are a bit airy. They have these very high ceilings. I'm not saying that, just by that, it makes them better airports. But it's true that for me, Terminal 1, the ceilings were very, very low. And it, it's a bit like some of the terminals at GFK. It makes it feel a bit, maybe because I'm tall as well, a little bit uh, claustrophobic. Yes, I've only flown uh, Terminal 3. Was it better? Yes, it's it's pretty new. I think it's about 15 years old. Oh, there you uh, go. Maybe that's why there's a difference. Very yeah. kind of glass and steel project. Uh, yeah, it was good. I, I, I like it. And like I said, it's got... Great connections. It's got the metro. It's got the train that come right into the station. It's it's a, it's a very solid airport. I would say the one thing that they should get better at is signage. Uh, interesting. Yeah, because for me, I was a little bit confused. Again, it's my first terminal one, so maybe terminal two, terminal three, because there are like three terminals that are still expanding. You and me are used to go to any airports, and we always figure it out. So we've I figured it out, obviously, but it was not <laughs> evident. You know, when you go out, when you're deplaning. You know, you kind of go directly either to transit or to, you know, customs or luggage delivery. That's pretty much it, right? Exit, in a way. And even with these normally two choices, I was like, okay, I'm not sure which direction I have to. Where is the actual sunlight where I can go? <laughs> Terminal 1 was in, it was opened in 1982, so it shows a little bit its age. Uh, but it's very nice airport. I didn't feel it like uh, cramped or whatever in terms of the number of people. It's very, people are also very laid back. I like the service. So if you have any type of um, business to do in Manchester, go it. But at the same time, sometimes it's actually cheaper to fly out from Manchester than to fly from London. Yes, so it is. Absolutely. So it, it could be an option for some of you that are visiting the UK or just don't need to be just one day in London and back, look at the prices to and from Manchester. Sometimes it's actually interesting. Probably there are more slots open and they can do competition. We end up the show the way we're opening it. London suffers from a lack of slots. Yep, and we pay the price. <laughs> Is it a good airport for layovers? Uh, I have only done one layover there and I didn't get off the airplane. I was on a mileage run. I did. I did a Heathrow, Manchester you did? Heathrow. What? Yeah, and I asked the. What? I, and they're like, "Sir, you need to get off the plane." I'm like, "I'm I'm coming back with you guys." And the, and they're like, "Oh, you're one of those." You do that? I had no clue you I were did actually it, doing that. I did it once because I was two tier points away from from renewing with Virgin Atlantic. This is like two years ago, and when they had Little Red, and so I was like, "Screw it! I'm just gonna go to Manchester for twelve minutes." <laughs> Did they let you stay in the, in the, in the aircraft? And I had to go back out so they could scan my boarding uh, pass so yeah. the manifest all added up. Yeah, because it's very rare that they actually allow you to stay within an aircraft. I've done a few layovers like that, not for mileage runs, though. And they always had to say, sometimes I, I really literally had to go across the air bridge and come back. Yeah. It's just like literally two minutes, but they say you still have to go out, which is like, come on, guys. I'm mean, save aircraft. Yeah. Anyway. Right. 
So nice airport uh, if you want to try it out. And if you have more to say about it, because as you can see, we're not totally experts about that one. Please let us know. And on that, Alex, happy travels. Safe, guys. On behalf of Layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.